3: Welcome to the program. Welcome to a new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand on for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, church questions, maybe something you heard uh, preached yesterday, whatever is on your heart, you need only to provide the phone call. 210 340 9585 is our primary number. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app, Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else will be hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, I hope and pray you had a wonderful time at church yesterday. We had kind of a hard message, but it was a good one. And um, lots of people were in church yesterday. We're back to our regular schedule uh, after the holiday breaks and all of that. So I enjoyed that uh tonight we'll be having our men's women's and youth bible studies at seven o'clock however the women rather than a bible study this is the one night per year that uh, they have their women's retreat planning meeting so if you're interested in going to the ladies retreat and would like to have some input then all you've got to do is show up and uh, you'll be able to find some place to help we'd love to have your help. We always have, I don't know, 250 women or so who go to our women's retreats, and it's always a blast. Uh, our speaker this year is going to be Laura Cowan. Uh, I'm really looking forward to to her and her husband John is going to be hanging out with me for a couple of days while the ladies are away. So it's really going to be a great time. And and um, God always meets the ladies. He uh, well, actually, he'll meet anybody who goes on a retreat wanting to seek Him. But but uh, it's a good time. Good time, so hope everything went well for the weekend let 's get into the program we'd love your phone calls and questions. Here is a question from Reggie um, Pastor, do you think there are prophets today who tell the future like Isaiah or Jeremiah or others in the bible Reggie th- th- there's there there are not prophets prophets or prophetesses. Um, like there was in the Old Testament or in the, the, the uh, formation uh, part of our New Testament church. Um, Hebrews chapter 1 begins with, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But, and that's the key, in these last days, he has spoken to us in son, and that's a literal translation from the Greek text, so, in other words, Reggie, what, what God has said is, look, I've said everything I'm going to say, and now that Jesus has been here, I have nothing else to say. In the past, I sent other people to warn people, to tell the future, to, to, to speak about future judgment or, or, or other issues. But we don't need that anymore because we've got the whole story in our Bibles. So there are no prophets, and I would add, Reggie, there are no apostles. We also know from Ephesians chapter 2 that apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church. And that foundation, it's very important the Greek tense, has already been laid. And then the other gifts to the church uh, are, are currently being added to that foundation, and the church is being built. On that foundation, so no more prophets, no more apostles. And having said that, there certainly are people who have the gift of prophecy. I exercise that gift often, but it's not foretelling. It's not telling the future. It's not predicting things. It's telling and the difference, Reggie, is important because when we're forthtelling, we're simply telling the word of God. You know, when prophets were around. They would come to the people and they would say something akin to thus saith the Lord. And they would simply tell what it is God asked them to say. Now, a lot of times that dealt with prophetic things long way down the corridor of time and space. But our foretelling, because the canon of Scripture is closed, because that foundation has already been laid, we're simply forth telling the word of God, and the, Paul's letters to the Corinthians tell us what those uh, gifts of prophecy are for, and they're for the edifying and the strengthening of the church. So, Reggie, if you're in a church where people are saying that they're going to they're speak for the Lord and they're predicting things in the future, um, they're 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 false prophets. Um, one of the things that I never ever am able to understand with people that get caught up in these churches is that, you know, they say things and a lot of times they're very general. And so they might be true, but but the same thing could be said of our horoscopes. But the other problem, and this is a real problem, we're not discerning enough because they say things that are just flat out wrong or things that don't happen. And the church doesn't abandon them. We ought to mark them as false prophets and false teachers and, and and they should have no more part in the church, but they don't do it because they're charismatic personalities or they have huge, powerful, uh, wealthy ministries. Um, and we can avoid all of that, Reggie. Nobody, nobody has to be caught in that snare ever again. So no prophets today who tell the future like Isaiah did or Jeremiah did or the other prophets in the Bible. I could add uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Um, we could add the Apostle Paul, we could add Philip's four daughters, the prophet Agabus, I call him the dramatic prophet, all those who in the first century church are identified as prophets. They were real prophets. But remember, there was no Bible, no word of God. And the way God instructed his people then was through the word that came through the prophets. And then when the Bible was compiled, we actually have the apostles' doctrine now in our Bibles, and that's why those gifts are no longer uh, available. Thank you, Reggie. Uh, when I let me let me rephrase, I, I caught myself saying those gifts are no longer available. Those offices are no longer available. The gift of prophecy still exists today, and it's for the edifying and strengthening of the church. Hope that's clear, Reggie. Thank you. Uh, I'm not really sure about this question. It's it's from anonymous. And he or she says, does God want us to be like slaves, or are we actually partners with him in our calling? Um, anonymous, I'm, I'm going to do the best I understand. When you say, does God want us to be like slaves, there's a negative connotation there. Uh, we are slaves of God, servants. Whenever you see servant or bondservant in your New Testament, that's actually a very uh, softened translation, because the word literally is a slave. Now, we're slaves by choice. We're not slaves that are forced. We're slaves by choice, but we're slaves. And so, yeah, the way to partner with God is to be a slave. When we call him Lord Anonymous, he's in charge. Paula used to say, you're not the boss of me. Well, when she got saved, she realizes now there's a boss. And that's what God wants. God wants obedience. He doesn't want sacrifice. He doesn't want worship. He doesn't want... Uh, our our zeal. He wants our obedience. And when we agree to partner with him in obedience, that, anonymous, is when God can do marvelous things in and then through our lives. But make no mistake, God wants us to be obedient. And if you characterize that as being a slave, um, then you probably need a heart check. You probably need a heart check. You know, the best thing I do every day, and, and, and I'm not exaggerating with this every day. Every day I report uh, for orders. Every day. I get up. I, I, I typically will look toward the eastern and sky where the sun's coming up. And I will say, Father, uh, first I'll, I'll just say good morning. Uh, and then I'll say this. Today, of my own free will, I choose to serve Jesus. Not by might nor by power, but by your spirit in your name and for your glory. And then I say to him, honestly, I can't even do that on my own. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, says it's God who both works and wills in us. In other words, even the desire to serve God is something that we can't have on our own. So I'll offer my hand to him, and I, I actually do this literally. I'll extend my hand and, and say, um, I... I I extend my hand in faith. I take your hand in faith, and I will not let go until you bless me. You may recognize that from Genesis 32, Jacob, when he was wrestling with the Lord. And then I, with my left hand, extend it to Paula. And she's not usually there with me, but sometimes she's there. And uh, I say, Lord, we're one flesh. We offer our hands in faith. And by faith, we take your hand, and we will not let go until you bless us. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to realize who's actually in charge every single day. And God has given us free will. We can make the choice to rebel against God or we can make the choice to serve God. The Apostle Paul says we're either slaves to righteousness or slaves to sin. But make no mistake, we are all slaves to something. The good thing for Christians is that we get to choose to whom we are enslaved. And I have found my Master Jesus to be the most benevolent, the kindest, the most loving of Lords. And being his servant, his slave, is truly an honor. My final thought on this, Anonymous, again, because of the wording, I don't want to put thoughts in your brain, but, but... this is this important for us to realize. Jesus said, it's just the opposite of the way the world works. He said, if you find your life, you'll lose it. If you lose it for him, you'll find it. And I have learned over the years that that takes a lot of faith to learn that lesson. It takes a lot of faith. And I have found that by abandoning me, losing me, Jesus has led me into the rich life of Abundance. That he's promised all of us who are in Christ. And so if you're being negative in the sense that, well, I don't want to be anybody's slave, you got to realize you already are. Our sin nature enslaves us to sin. And all we have to do is decide, I have the power living in me that raised Christ from the dead. And so I choose to be enslaved to Jesus Who loves me with an infinite gracious love. So that's what he wants. He just wants us to be obedient. You know, I also think that we all know that to be true instinctively once we're born again and the deposit of the Holy Spirit is placed within us. I think because we recognize that. Um, we also need then to recognize that when we find ourselves rebelling against that idea, that's just our flesh and an enemy who's trying to destroy us. If we'll just smarten up and lose our lives for Him, we find a life that's so abundant. That's the life we're going to have forever in heaven a life of perfect obedience. And of course, We don't even have words to describe how wonderful that's going to be. Hope that hits the heart of your question. Here's a question from Iris. She says, how do you deal with life when it gets too hard? Um, Iris, I think one of the things that we can do is remember that life is always too hard. There just isn't anything I can do on my own. And when I try in the flesh to deal with the difficulty of life, um, it gets more difficult. My flesh complicates things. And so what I do, Iris, to deal with life when it gets too hard is run to Jesus. If you've listened to this program in length of time, you've heard me say our theme here at Calvary Chapel is just be with Jesus. And I run into his presence. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the reality is life apart from Christ is too hard. You know, I had somebody tell me one time, being a Christian is so hard. And my first thought was, if you think that's hard, try not being one. That's when life gets oppressive. That's when life gets overbearing. So, uh, And I don't mean this as some religious or spiritual platitude. I run into the presence of Jesus because the Bible promises us that in his presence is the fullness of joy. And when I don't have any strength, I run to Jesus because the Bible also says the joy of the Lord is my strength. The Apostle Paul writes that we can have peace that passes understanding in the middle of a life that's crumbling down or falling down around you. We can find a piece that is not able to be explained. And that's when the power of the Holy Spirit hits you. So what we've got to do when things are really hard is run to Jesus. Now, let me tell you places we don't run. We don't run to humans for advice. We don't run to psychologists. We don't run to counselors. We run to people. Only if those people will take us and walk with Jesus or walk to Jesus with us. Iris, that's the beauty of a body of Christ. The fellowship of believers is so important because when I'm going through something, there's somebody in the body here who's already been through it. Somebody who can comfort me with the comfort they've received from God. There's somebody in the body who can say, it's okay, you you don't have to go through this alone. I think sometimes when life gets hard, we have a tendency to sort of shut down and we try to deal with it alone. That's one of the worst things that we can do. The devil is actually trying to get people to try to handle things alone on their own. And we don't have to do that. So Iris, when life gets hard, we run into the presence of Jesus and what I've learned in in February it'll be 32 years walking with the Lord for me what I've learned is that when Jesus is carrying those burdens they're not really that heavy at all he's got it because he's got me and life only gets really hard when we try to do things on our own when we try to figure a way out We try to make things easier instead of just running into his presence. Now, obviously, we've got some tools, Iris, that help. I mentioned the the fellowship of believers. When you're really going through something that's really hard, there ought to be some people in your life, and you'll find them in your church if you look around, people whose lives are full of joy and full of hope, people that have gone through really, really difficult things and come out the other side and you've seen the fruit of the Spirit in their lives through it all. Those are the people that we can go to. Now, obviously, another tool is our Bibles. Iris, when life gets really hard, we got Bible promises. We're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. If God is for us, who can be against us? And all throughout our New Testaments in particular, we have these wonderful promises, so get into the Word and let the water of the Word just sort of overwhelm you. And obviously we've got prayer. That's the other tool. You can talk to Jesus all day, every day. Life is hard. But it's never too hard, Iris, if you're in the presence of Jesus. Again, I want to emphasize what I have learned is that everything is too hard apart from Jesus. Thanks for the question, Iris. Hope things get better. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let's go to our friend Ruben from Sagina Online 1. Ruben, how are you feeling today?
2: Uh As you passed around, I am feeling uh, just a little bit better. Uh, I have to go to a doctor tomorrow so they can set up some physical therapy and some occupational therapy. But I am feeling better. I'm sorry. Uh, On Thursday, they had already told me they were going to release me, but they didn't tell me when. And as soon as I got off the phone, the nurse said, "You're ready to be discharged." I'm like, "Oh, oh my!" Okay, so,
4: <laughs>
2: yeah. but you know, they told me like about eleven, eleven o'clock. So, you know, you know how they normally take forever to get discharged. So, I didn't think I was going to be discharged any anyway mm-hmm. at that time. So, but they did. So, uh, and it was a good thing. It's a good thing because we came home and was in my own bed. Um you know, and I wanna thank everybody that's been praying for me. Um and and, and the guys to continually pray for me and and uh Iris if I may Pastor Ron if I may just say something to her. Of course. Um, I Pastor Ron can attest Ten years, I have gone through things, and it seems like it's just been one after another after another. And, you know, if, if it weren't for my belief that there's a reason why all this is happening, I think I would have gotten discouraged a long time ago. But, Iris, let me tell you, God is with you no matter what you go through. No matter what you're going through, no matter how deep, you know, the waters may seem, no matter how deep the waters may be coming up against you, just know that Jesus is with you, and um, in those lonely times when nobody's there, when it seems like nobody's calling you, when nobody's, you know, looking for you, read the Bible, because I've learned And I didn't, didn't, for me, I didn't learn it right then and there. It took a while for me to finally realize, you know what, the closer, the more I read the Bible, the more I'm going to fall in love with Jesus. And and that is a true statement. Mm -hmm. And when you're alone with Jesus, why would you want anybody else? Mm -hmm. Why? Why? Uh, that's a question I ask to everybody. If you are alone with Jesus, why would you want to be with anyone else? So, Iris, keep your head up. It's 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 gonna get better, and keep listening to Pastor Ron. And and, and he's 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 a he's a great. Great's not even the proper adjective to describe this man of God. Um, but. Uh, Pastor, I just wanted to call in and let you know how I was doing. And and I heard you talking to Iris. I said, well, let me just see if I can just throw my little two
3: cents in. Thank you, Ruben. You know, we've had a bunch of people calling us and wanting to know uh, where you are. Could they see you? Could they bring you anything? So, uh, you know, this is a body that prays. And uh, uh, and though we haven't met you face to face, you're part of the body. And I thank you for letting us know. I appreciate it very, very much. Let me also say to the rest of the audience here that Reuben is speaking with a voice of authority. Uh, the, the 10 years that Reuben has been calling into this program, um, uh, he has gone through impossible things, just impossible things, seemingly one right after another. And uh, Reuben was one of those guys that at the beginning called and freaked out Why is God doing this? And Um, what's going to happen and all kinds of questions about his eternal security and what Reuben has done is actually taken the counsel that he's received over the years and he's really dug in and found out who Jesus was and he's found out that Jesus, uh, when he told the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient, Reuben has lived that. So that's the voice of authority for any and all of you who are going through really difficult times uh, in your life. Um, we need not be overcome we can be overcomers and again I don't mean that as a spiritual platitude um, the reality is that's what faith is for and Reuben has learned that firsthand. hand and uh, Reuben is in a lot different place than he was 10 years ago and that's why God gives him the opportunity to minister uh, to people he does it through this radio show he does it when he's out and around uh, his, his hard things haven't ended obviously um, but Reuben is not the same man. Um, and for you, Iris, and for anybody else, uh, going through really hard things, the minute you think that that you're going to be overwhelmed, that's when you need to run to Jesus the most. And there are times when that will be the very moment you feel the least like running to Jesus at all. So very, very important and uh, Reuben has been an example and to many of us an inspiration uh, because of the severity of the things that he's gone through and the courage, honestly, the, the faith and courage that he's demonstrated through much of it is, uh, is an inspiration to people. It shows us exactly how to do those things. So I hope that helps you. Iris, Reuben, thank you very much. Uh, that's the gift of encouragement. Uh, being demonstrated here at Calvary Chapel and the word to stand up for life. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Monday show. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes.
1: Welcome back to the Word to Stand on for Life. We're taking your calls at 340 9585 or toll free 877 630 KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
3: Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show, 340 9585, for your live calls and questions. Before I go to a question that was sent in, um, yesterday in the message, um, I gave an example. I was talking about uh, the books of life, uh, the, the the Lamb's book of life, and then the book about our life. And what I was saying uh, in the context of of Acts chapter three was that the, the the book of our lives, with all of our sins in it, and all of our 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 the times that we rebelled against God. The things that we're actually guilty of. I said to the church yesterday, you know, feeling guilty is good if you actually are guilty. And uh, I used a Crystal Lewis song. Crystal Lewis, uh, when I got saved, was was uh, probably the most popular Christian voice um, that was going at the time, especially around Southern California, where she's from. And uh, her book, her her uh, song that I liked the best was called "The Bloodstained Pages." And it was like the book of my life is, is open and with all those horrible accusations, things that are true, and yet every page is covered by the blood. So the accusations couldn't be read. I got a really neat email from from a dear friend. He said, he said we got a kick out of you mentioning Crystal Lewis in the message. He said, because he watched her grow up. In fact, her father, who is a pastor, was their pastor and married them and um, uh, he he also said that Crystal's mom and sister both had beautiful voices as well. And I thought, wow, that's so neat. That was really a great, great uh, reference. So if you wanna be uh, encouraged, um, go on YouTube and listen to Crystal Lewis's song, The Bloodstained Pages. It's great, she has a lot of neat stuff. Um, she did My Redeemer Lives, and except for one particular woman that I know, she sings it better than anybody else that's ever sang it. So, Crystal Lewis, you will enjoy it. Let's go to our friend Greg from Bolverde Online 1. Greg, thank you for calling. It's good to hear from you.
4: Hey, Pastor Ron, good to, good to hear from you. Enjoy your show. I try to catch it every day if possible, for sure, on Thursdays. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> hey, uh, sometimes I just want to give some encouragement to Ruben and anybody else that's listening, uh, in just a short story of uh, something I had gone through a few years ago. And, uh, you know, it was devastating. Uh, my wife of 32 years had uh, thought of a divorce, and, you know, it was just uh, never saw it coming. Um, we, we met at church, uh, you know, 32 years before, and you know, had my family in church, and we did, had our own. Family Bible study here at the house for the better part of eight years, nine years, and uh, did my best. I know I still fell short, but I, I think I did a pretty decent job. But for whatever reason, she decided to, to move and uh, move on. And, um, you know, just at that time when we were fixing to come empty nesters, and, and I've heard so many stories about people, you know, that are in that situation, like mm-hmm. I was in that empty nest syndrome I don't, I don't know what the deal is but and it was just a tough thing to know that lord this woman you brought me this is not how it's supposed to be and the only thing i needed to do and i knew the best thing to do was just run to jesus and get, you know, get as close to him as i could i called you one time and I actually met in your office uh mm-hmm. one time a few years ago and we talked there, and, and you were great encouragement to me. and I appreciate it. And but anyway, just the the point is, anybody that's going through struggles, and we we all do at some point in time, nobody's going to go through this life without challenges. And but the thing we just have to do is just run to Jesus.
3: Hmm. Greg, um, that's that's great counsel, and and um, here years later. Uh, you're, you're standing it's your heart still breaks, I know. But at, at the same time, uh, we we only learn that his grace is sufficient uh, when we avail ourselves of it. And, and uh, that's the kind of testimony that God will use over and over and over again. You'll be able to tell somebody who thinks they can't go on another minute of another day. And you're going to be able to say, yes, you can. Here's how I know. And uh, I thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that, Greg. God bless you, my friend.
4: Are you still there? Are you still there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. I just wanted to finish it off by saying that, you know, as I run into Jesus, I stayed plugged into church and got involved in some groups, and God has restored me with just a fantastic godly woman I met at church, and she's someone I believe I can finish life with.
3: Praise the Lord. Yeah. See, he is a a restoring God. Greg, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thanks. Nice. Sure. Yeah. You know, uh, Greg, Greg's situation, Greg's circumstance, uh, you know, there, there's there's uh, people that get picked off. I know pastors' wives who just picked up and left, uh, and nobody knew it was coming. Now, you know, you might argue that maybe the pastor and his wife ought to have been in the word more or closer, but, but, but you know, it just happened, and the enemy— is always trying to make a target of that. And, and uh, when kids are getting ready to leave the home, uh, that's when the spiritual warfare always steps up. And uh, the only way to be able to deal with it is to, to be close to Jesus. Sometimes we don't feel like doing anything. And that's when we got to fight the hardest. Thank you for sharing your heart, Greg. I appreciate it and praise the Lord for his goodness to you. Here is a question from Nacho from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, why does Paul emphasize prayer for government, leadership so specifically in 1 Timothy 2.2, even though he just directed Timothy that requests prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone in verse 1? Uh, Was there perhaps state-sponsored persecution going on at that time in Ephesus or empire-wide, which would affect Paul as well? Or was this just correlated with the verses uh, in uh, or with the events of verse 8, where Paul once again commands, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. You know, I think when we get to um, uh, Paul's instructions to Timothy, remember, Timothy is his son in the faith, Timothy is being groomed to take over uh, Paul's ministry, at least a large part of it. And uh, he's he's simply saying, yeah, we, we need to pray. We need to pray for whatever's on your heart, requests, supplications, uh, intercession, and thanksgiving uh, for everyone. But sometimes, especially then when it when it deals with government that is oppressive or anti Christ, in fact, um, you know, we, we have a tendency not to do that. Jesus said that we're to, to love our enemies. One of the ways that we can love them is to pray for them. And I've often said, Nacho, that as Christians, we have zero standing from which to criticize our president unless we're praying for him. And I would add his family and I would also add the other leaders of our government. That's what Paul was saying. Now, obviously... Uh, Peter and Paul both talk about praying for those who are in authority, and the, the the man that was in authority in the world that they lived in was Caesar Nero, and he was absolutely a madman, no doubt demon possessed, and and enjoyed killing Christians for sport. Uh, he actually would 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 tie Christians up to uh, stakes, um, coat them in tar or pitch and set them on fire to use them as torches or lights uh, in his courtyard. And and um, uh, Paul is telling Timothy, pray for those who are in authority and uh, the government leaders. And so we need to do that. And I think that's one of the places we're so quick to point fingers and say, well, I don't agree with that or I don't agree with this. And instead, we need to be the men and the women who example the need for prayer And and I always pray for our government leaders, um, uh, local, uh, state, um, federal, uh, all the way up to the president. Uh, I I pray for them, first and foremost, to get saved. That's what they need the most, Nacho. They need to get saved. And uh, unfortunately, um, we actually treat our president, uh, a lot of Christians do. I don't want to broadbush everybody, but... We actually treat our president as somebody that we don't want in heaven. And that's just the opposite of how we should approach God. So we have no right to criticize, uh, complain, uh, unless, of course, we are praying for them. And if we're praying for them, our hearts will change toward them. It doesn't mean we'll agree with what they're doing, but our hearts will change toward them. And um, the reality will be we want them in heaven. Good question, Nacho. Thanks very, very much. Here is a question from, let me see who's next, Phyllis. Hard question. She says, James says to call the elders and anoint the sick with oil, and they will be healed. Why don't people get healed now when we do that? Do you pray for the the sick in your church? Um, Phyllis, we do pray for the sick in our church, and we do anoint with oil. We get, uh, when people come up to me, we don't make a show of it usually, uh, but when somebody says, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm struggling with this or struggling with that. Uh, We'll bring them into my office and get as many of the elders as we can gather up, and we'll lay hands on them and pray them, and I'll anoint their foreheads with oil. Uh, And sometimes they get well, um, but but sometimes they don't. And this idea of healing, uh, this isn't a promise. This isn't a formula. Well, if you got uh, uh, somebody who's sick... Then this is just go through this step, this step, and this step, and that person will be well. That's not what the promise the Bible is making at all. You know, we were just uh, uh, in in Philippians this last Friday, and Paul, who I think we would all agree had the gift of healing. I mean, he was an apostle, and he healed people regularly. Now, obviously, not everybody in his life got healed, but but he healed people regularly. Those were miraculous signs or wonders. And science pointing to Jesus, validating not only his ministry, but his message as well. And in the, the that uh, second chapter of Philippians, uh, he says to the Philippians, I'm sending back to you Epaphroditus, because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, Paul said, and he almost died. He didn't get healed. I mean, eventually he got better. But, uh, you know, you'd think if you were traveling with the Apostle Paul, you could just go knock on his door and say, Hey, would you throw out one of those prayers and and heal me? Um, Not everybody gets healed. And I think we've got to understand that, Phyllis. We come by faith and ask. And I never know who's going to get healed. I never know. um, Sometimes I don't know if anybody's going to get healed. There will be times when the Lord will speak to my heart, either before a message or sometimes during a message. And he will say, the power to heal is here tonight. And we give opportunities for people to be prayed for, to come forward by faith and ask for prayer for healing. And there are times when God does that. Now, if God was taking advice from me, um, he would explain why he's not healing everybody. But he doesn't do that. And there's no promise of healing in our New Testament. There's no promise of healing in the atonement of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 says, by his stripes we are healed. That has nothing whatsoever to do with physical healing. And so what we have to do is we have to rely on God to be just, to be fair, and to do what we need him to do. And while we might think we always need to be healed, that's simply not the case. Even the Apostle Paul himself, when troubled by a physical ailment, the thorn in the flesh, He was told no. He asked God to take it away from him, to heal him. And and three times, he asked three times, the Lord said his grace is sufficient. So there are times when we're going to go through things and we're going to suffer. Paul calls it in Philippians, sharing in the fellowship of his, Jesus' sufferings. And that's what we've got to do. Uh, Reuben called in the first half of the program, And Reuben has been afflicted. I call it the ministry of affliction. Now, nobody's lining up to get that ministry. But Reuben has ministered to so many over the years. We've got others in our church who have done that. One of the nicest ladies. Um, uh, Probably not listening, but Linda, if you are, we love you. Um, uh, Her life has been just pain for years and years and years. And yet every time you see her, she's got this look on her face and this smile, a smile that comes from the heart. And she's there for people. And she's been suffering for a very, very long time. And the godliness that people see in her is a result of sharing in the fellowship of Jesus' suffering. So, again, to answer your question, Phyllis, we do pray for the sick. We anoint them with oil. Sometimes they get healed, and sometimes they don't. Uh, Our problem is that we think that God sort of owes us a healing, and that's not what they're saying in the book of James, not at all. Thank you for the question, and I pray that things get better for you. Anonymous says, can you please talk about race relations in the church? How are we supposed to view race? Uh, Anonymous, there's only two races from God's perspective, and these aren't real races. You'll get that when you hear what I'm about to say. But God only sees two groups of people, saved and unsaved. There's no such thing as race. We are the ones guilty of making everything about race. Whether it was in the time I grew up where churches were segregated and white churches wanted nothing to do with black people and black churches wanted nothing to do with white people, um, it's because we didn't understand what God has done. We didn't understand what the church is supposed to look like. So uh, we actually do our best to ignore race. Now, obviously, there are times when uh, we have to talk about race. We have to talk about prejudice. And when those times occur, frankly, what I tell our church is that there is absolutely no freedom to have prejudice at all. Once you become a born-again Christian and if prejudice still lives in your heart, then two things need to happen. First, you need to repent before God against thee and the only, have I sinned, O God. And the second thing you have to do is have a a new way of thinking, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you do that by understanding that God doesn't see black or white. You know, when Paul and I came to San Antonio, it doesn't happen so much anymore. Now, I know there are people who probably talk about it behind our backs. But, um, um, you know, we're an interracial couple. Paul is black. I'm white. And I'm really white. And um, We've had people point blank say, you're not fit to preach the gospel because you're in a mixed marriage God hates mixed marriages. And those are just dumb people. People that need Jesus. And so race relations in the church doesn't need to be addressed. Prejudice and hatred and love all needs to be addressed. So that's how we're supposed to view race. One of the beautiful things in none of us at our church, if you'd ever come and visit Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, you would see, I think, the most diverse church that I've personally ever seen. Now, I get to other churches and and uh, we speak in places. Uh, but, but, but our church is um, a really, really good picture of the city that we live in. Um, largely Hispanic, more than half. Uh, the rest, a mixture, according to the, the the racial divide in our city in terms of the the, the demographics, and um, uh, if anything, uh, whether it comes to um, to African Americans or um, Asians, um, we have a larger proportion of those than our cities. Um, breakdown and and just people not not only racial makeup but economic makeup age uh, different background makeup just people from from so many different places in their lives and we all come together um, because I open the Bible, we teach it God brings the people that he wants to bring and this is a picture of what God's church looks like so Uh, We're not supposed to view race at all. If you are in a church that is uh, race focused, then you are in a church that is truly out of balance. I had somebody criticize me, anonymous, say, well, it's easy to say that because you're white and you don't know what it's like to be discriminated against. I got two black kids. Um, I got grandkids that are even more mixed up. Um, uh, One with a Thai mother. Uh, and the other with a yugoslavian mother serbian mother and my kids of course mixed and um we we've been discriminated against paul and i've been together for almost 53 years so um it's it's all i have to do and all anybody has to do is say god give me your heart on this issue Give me your heart on this issue and when he does, you'll understand where he's coming from. Thank you for the question. Here is Thomas on line one from San Antonio. Thomas, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
5: Ron, I, I hate talking about this uh, particular subject. Uh, You were touching on it about uh, race and stuff like that. I'm a Christian and, and I've been walking uh, with the Lord for since 1987, September of 87. Now, you know, I, I get that a lot, being Hispanic, and, uh, you know, when I moved over here from Southern California, I noticed that there was a lot of this type of uh, attitudes towards Hispanics, and I'm not trying to bring up old uh, uh, memories here or wounds and, and uh, hatred and stuff, but I had a hard time here uh, with that because I was always singled out, especially on jobs, and, and knowing that I'm a veteran and uh, you know, I got some education, what have you, but I was always... Uh, looked down on, and it, I was never taken, and I never really fulfilled what I went to school for anyway, and I was always looked down uh, about and talked down, and every time I behaved properly, and I never complained, as you once mentioned, I just it, I, I was never treated that way, and even I got neighbors to this very day that you know they they harass me just because I am Hispanic and. How am I supposed to handle that? Uh, being a Christian, I, I mean, I love him and I. but there's times it's very hurtful. And, and it can t- at times it could be, you know, you can have feelings of resentment, but it's like, I know that's part of my cross as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just uh, from one uh, Christian to another, you being with an interracial uh, uh, and having an interracial marriage, because my sister's the same way. Uh, she's uh, Hispanic and, and married to a, a white person as well, a man. Um how, how could you give me a little bit of advice or point me to some scripture with, that would touch on that?
3: Yeah, Thomas, I can. Thank you very much for this. And listen closely. Th- what I'm going to say is not going to satisfy your flesh, but it will satisfy your soul and the heart of Jesus, I promise you. You know, when somebody treats us with disrespect or somebody discriminates against us uh, or, or, e- or even my children um, and when, when they were growing up, um, as a Christian— It's our opportunity to share Jesus with them. They're sinners. They need to be saved. And it doesn't matter if they claim to be Christians or not. If somebody would would say something that was hurtful to me, I I would take that as an opportunity to share Jesus with them. And if they said to me, well, well, I'm already a Christian. You don't need to talk to me about that. I would say, well, how would I know you're a Christian? How could you be prejudiced? How could you act the way you're acting and say or think the things you're saying or thinking if, in fact, you really had Jesus living in your heart? And I've seen some people who who were broken by that. So here's what you do. You understand that Jesus, they lied about him, the most perfect, pure, the only perfect and pure person who's ever walked the face of the earth. If he was insulted, Jesus said, we'll be insulted. We need to consider that a badge of honor. And while it is hurtful to our flesh, we understand, well, Lord, here's an opportunity for you to show yourself powerful for this person. And and so by name, I'm going to pray for this person on a daily basis. By name, I'm going to pray, Lord, that you storm his or her heart uh, because I want to see them in heaven. God will change your heart toward them. And this is the hardest thing I'm going to say to you, Thomas. Jesus taught us this. When you're feeling as though you've been hurt, you've got to realize that the hurt that you're experiencing is nothing compared to the hurt Jesus experienced for you, for you. He came to his own and his own received him not. They said that Jesus was uh, uh, an illegitimate child. His mother was always accused of being a loose woman, an immoral woman. Uh, That was sort of the rumbling behind the scenes the entire the entire life of Jesus that we have record of. Uh, and yet Jesus went out of his way to minister to those who were the most difficult ones. And so that's what we do. We die to our flesh. We say, Lord, it wasn't nearly as bad as what you experienced for me. So help me honor you. Help me honor you. And when we're hurt by something, that's when we're going to be the most tempted to lash out. That's when we've got to fight the hardest to stay in the spirit because that's the way Jesus will be honored through our lives. And that's the only way I know, Thomas. And here's what I can tell you, and this is after 27 and a half years here in San Antonio, people saying, what's a mixed couple like you doing here in a, in a Hispanic town? Um, the answer is simple. We're just following the orders of our Lord. And, oh, has God blessed us and poured out His Spirit? Um, The result is a lot more people filled with the Spirit who love God and who love us than those who don't. Thomas, thanks for calling. I appreciate the perspective. Hey, we are done today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then.